Hello and welcome to Not So Molly Mormon Podcast. This is Katie. It's just me today. No, Sarah. We um, we had a episode planned and actually recorded for you this week, but we ended up having some technical difficulties, and unfortunately, we're not able to release that one this week. But I didn't want to leave you hanging. I still wanted to give you something to listen to this week. So I thought this would be a good chance for me to read something that a listener shared with us. This actually comes from a listener named Sarah. There's just so many great Sarahs in the world, aren't there? <laughs> so this is this is a uh, really amazing long letter from Sarah. I think it's about 19 pages long. So I thought... I'll read a portion of it now, and I can read a portion of it later in a follow-up episode, because it was just a little bit too long to read in a mini-sode, and we hadn't gotten around to talking about it in a regular episode, but this is a great opportunity to share that. So thanks for writing to us, Sarah. I'm just going to jump right in and start reading this, so sit back and relax, grab a snack, and enjoy her letter. Here we go. When you have been immersed in one particular culture for your entire life, and then one day are faced with the fact that everything you have ever been taught, everything you have ever believed, is not, in fact, based on reality, your life is literally turned upside down. The entire reality you thought you knew so well comes crumbling down around your feet, and everything is left in tatters. This is what it felt like when I left the Mormon church at age 26. Those who have also left a high-demand religious group or cult or have been through similar experiences will understand how incredibly traumatic it is to have your entire reality shatter to the point where you no longer know for certain which way is up or down, left or right, and you're even left questioning who you are. I have thought about sharing my story on and off over the years, but the whole idea has always felt so overwhelming, and even now I am still unsure where or how to start. Not just that. But would people even be interested in hearing what I have to say? I have shared parts of my story with a few close and trusted friends and work colleagues over the years, and they have always, without exception, found it quite fascinating. So that got me thinking, perhaps it is worth sharing. At this time of writing, when I think back 10 years ago, when I was at that point in my life being faced with the scary prospect that I had spent my entire life in a religion that was based on lies, and feeling so extremely overwhelmed and isolated, and how helpful it was to hear others' stories on the internet. I hope that by sharing my story, I might be able to bring some hope to somebody else who might be in the same place I was 10 years ago. I feel like I am paying it forward. Someone has helped me, so I want to pass on that kindness and help somebody else. During the course of my healing journey, I turned to poetry as a way to help heal my inner child, to provide a voice to the younger me that never had a chance to speak up, who was silenced and denied a chance to share her truth. Throughout this book, I will incorporate the poems I have written as a way to tell my story. And this is a poem here. When you have been born into a cult, you're indoctrinated from the day you are born. Before you can even walk or talk, your entire life is planned out for you. You are made to fit that plan, not the other way around. You're pushed and prodded and shaped to fit a preset mold of what is acceptable. 
You have no say in the process. You simply obey. Because if you don't, retribution is swift. Don't question. Don't challenge. Don't doubt. And don't you dare think for yourself. You're taught to fear the outside world. It is a dark and evil place. Happiness is not possible outside of the safety net of the group. Don't even entertain the thought that life could be possible, could possibly be worthwhile outside of this. Those not in the group might look happy on the outside, but that's not true happiness, they tell you. They only think they're happy, but they're not. Only we have true happiness. You don't know any different, and so you believe what they tell you. You don't know they're telling you lies, even though they don't know they're telling you lies. They're just as blinded as you, products of their upbringings, unquestioning obedience, and unconscious fear. They don't know any different either. You notice things, things that don't make sense or fit the story you've been told, but the indoctrination runs deep, and you don't dare go there, even in your mind, for fear that God will punish you. Doubt your doubts, they tell you. Pray, read your scriptures, go to church, serve the Lord. Do all the things. And if you still have doubts or questions, you're doing it wrong. If you had enough faith in God, if you truly desire to receive the answers, you start to doubt yourself because deep in your heart, you know you truly desire to know. But when your answers don't match up with what they teach, you're doing it wrong. You mustn't have enough faith. As these messages are drummed into you year after year after year, you begin to believe it. You're flawed. You're not good enough. You're not worthy enough to receive an answer from God. And because you haven't received an answer that matches everybody else's, you're clearly the one at fault. They are never wrong. It must be you. There must be something wrong with you. So you hide your face, ashamed, embarrassed, that everybody around you knows the truth except you. And you ask yourself, how do they know? How can they be so certain? And why isn't God answering me? What have I done so wrong that would co cause God to ignore my cries, to punish me like I don't exist, like I'm not there? Years pass and you become a master at hiding behind the mask you have fashioned to hide the pain you feel inside, to blend in like a chameleon hoping to go unnoticed, unexposed for the fraud you are. And it works for a while, but it is exhausting to keep up the charade, trying to fit yourself in where you clearly do not belong. The cracks are starting to appear again, persistent, relentless, shattering the illusion of the perfect story and the perfect plan. You've done everything you're supposed to. You've done as you're told. You've always been the good girl, playing by the rules. You should be happy but you feel empty inside, hollow. Something's not right, but what? And then one day everything changes. It's like somebody flicked on the light switch and you can see clearly for the first time ever. It's like being shaken awake from a deep slumber that has consumed your soul all these years. And you realize that you have been stumbling through life without truly seeing. And the real truth, not the truth they so passionately defended, is right in front of you. It's been right in front of you the entire time. Only fear had kept you from seeing. 
and in that moment everything changes, never to be the same again, as if the universe has pushed you off the side of the cliff that you have spent years teetering on the edge of, so desperately grasping at anything you could reach to keep you from falling into the abyss. But your grasp finally failed. Your soul was weary from the constant battles. You surrender and you fall. There are no words to describe the absolute terror of having your entire world as you've known it crumble underfoot, like glass shattering, broken shards of reality disappear from view. All you can do is watch, powerless to stop the destruction of everything you thought you knew. There is momentary silence, peace and clarity that fills your mind, and your soul knows. The way forward is through the dark, it is too late to turn back. In that split second that stretched on for eternity, you are no longer the person you were before. The change is irreversible, and you know the only way forward is through the dark. Wow. That was an epically amazing poem. Oh, I'm surprised I didn't stumble with my, with my tears over that one. You guys know how I get emotional over stuff. All right, I'm going to read a bit more of her letter before I pause. Uh, I want to get through a little bit more of it, and then I'll finish the rest of it in a later episode. Okay. I was the first child of my parents, eldest of three, having a younger brother, three years younger than me, and a younger sister, five years younger than me. I was born into the church, one of those covenant children. My parents were both converts to the Mormon church and had joined in their early years. The majority of my extended family were all Mormon on my dad's side, although my mom's immediate family had since stopped attending for about as long as I can remember. I grew up in the South Island of New Zealand, where Mormons were few and far between, so most of my friends growing up were all non-Mormon. During high school, I was the only Mormon in the entire school. I had a friend who was Seventh-day Adventist, a friend who was Baptist, and friends who were atheists. I took keyboard lessons with a Jehovah's Witness, so I was exposed to a wide range of people with various religious beliefs right from a young age. My family were always pretty active. My parents always had callings. I had callings. As a family, we would pray together every day. We read the scriptures. We tried really hard to have regular family home evening, although we usually had it on a Sunday afternoon instead of a Monday because my dad, who was a policeman, was often working. I always tried really hard to be a good Mormon and to do everything I knew I should be doing, and agonized over every small mistake I made. I took the church very seriously. Overall, I have really happy memories of my childhood and of church. I enjoyed going to primary, I enjoyed the activities at church, and I had some really fun and neat experiences that revolved around the church. As I got older, I began noticing things that didn't really sit right with me, and in hindsight, was the very beginning of the issues that began piling up on my shelf. I was a very shy and awkward person growing up and struggled to relate to most of the other Mormons my age. As a side note, at age 36, I have been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, which would explain my difficulty in relating to others throughout my life, although at the time I had no idea I had autism. So because there were so few Mormons my age anyway, I spent most of my time at church interacting with members either older or younger than myself. I always felt like I didn't quite belong, and I would often look at the other members and wonder what was wrong with me. They always seemed to have everything figured out, 
and here I was bumbling along and trying my very hardest to be the best Mormon I could be, and yet I felt I was always falling short. No matter how hard I tried, I could never measure up. Discouragement was an all-too-familiar feeling growing up. I distinctly remember sitting in sacrament meeting one day. It was fast and testimony meeting. And one of the other, uh, this is many years later, and one of the other youth single adults, young single adults, got up and was sharing her testimony. And she spoke with such conviction. I know the church is true. I know that Joseph Smith saw God in Jesus. I know, I know, I know. And I sat there feeling completely puzzled and thinking to myself, but how do you know? How can you be so sure? I could understand someone saying, I believe, blah, 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 but I kept getting really stuck on the difference between knowing and believing. Side note again, this is apparently a very autistic trait, interestingly enough. I believe the church was true and all that, or at least I wanted to believe it was true, but I knew deep down that I didn't know, and because everyone around me kept saying they knew it was true, I felt like I was the one at fault. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy enough. I wasn't trying hard enough. I didn't have enough intent in my heart. Blah, blah, blah. Okay, I'm pausing here for a moment, Sarah, because I, this is like reading my story right now, uh, this part, especially, um, I had this same exact thing. This was one of my very first, as we call them, shelf items. When people would say, I know the church is true. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet. I remember thinking, even as a young kid, like, how do you know that? You believe that, but I don't think you know that because <laughs> no one can know that. Um, so it's really nice to hear that someone else had this and was this was a hang-up for them as well. There was another experience I remember several years prior when I was around 14 or 15. My dad was branch president at the time. We lived in the South Island, which only had two districts at the time. And this particular weekend, one of the other branches in the district was having their district conference, and my dad had been invited to speak, and the whole family had been asked to share our testimonies as well. I remember feeling horrified at the thought of this. I absolutely hated standing up and speaking in front of people. And I remember thinking, there's no way I can stand up and share my testimony about the church in front of a group of strangers. I didn't even know if I had a testimony. My parents did their best to persuade me to attend, but I point blank refused and ended up staying home that day, along with my other younger sorry, excuse me, along with my younger brother who also decided he didn't want to go. I seem to recall my dad saying how he was really disappointed that I wasn't going to go, and no doubt I felt guilty at the time, but I was firm about not going. I mean, good for you. <laughs> okay, I think I'll read just a little bit more, and then we'll, we'll do a pause. I want to share a little about the church culture I experienced growing up. I'm aware my experiences were probably very different to, say, someone who grew up in Utah or any other highly Mormon-populated place. As I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the South Island of New Zealand. There were two districts, which are similar to stakes, but they're where there are fewer members of the church. Whereas a stake has wards, a district has branches. 
Most of the time we went to church in a chapel, although when we lived on the west coast we attended church in the local intermediate school hall because there was no chapel. It was common for my parents and everyone else to hold multiple callings at church. Oh, I remember one of the girls of the family in the branch got baptized in the local river when she turned eight. Although when it was my turn to be baptized, we drove across to Christ Church on the east coast so I could be baptized in one of the chapels there. I barely remember my baptism, apart from the fact that my mom made me a beautiful birthday cake shaped as an eight, covered in pink icing. That and my dad was the one to baptize me. I had no idea what it meant other than it was just expected of me. So this is interesting. Something I've been thinking about lately is consent and particularly informed consent. And I just don't think that eight-year-olds really know what they're doing. You know, Mormons, the Mormon church teachings and Mormons in general love to say that these children, these eight-year-olds choose to be baptized. But do they really when they don't really know what they're getting into? They don't know the full scope of what this means. And it's also very expected of them. Like if they didn't get baptized, that would be such a big disappointment, right? Something I've been thinking about lately. But I think I'll pause right here on this wonderful, amazing letter, and we'll pick back up on it in another episode so that we can kind of have a little mini-series of this. And uh, thank you all just for listening. Thank you, Sarah, for again, for sending this in. And just know that Uh, We love you all, and we hope you all have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye!